Blog Talk Radio. Riding through this world all alone. God, take your soul. You're on your own. A crow flies Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a live edition of Way In Sports Talk. I'm your host, Brian Tarvin, and happy Father's Day to to all fathers out there, and thanks for joining us tonight. It is Sunday evening, and, you know, we're three months away from college football, and just to let you know tonight, we will be discussing the Michigan Wolverines for 2014, the Florida Gators out of the SEC Conference, both teams really disappointed in 2013, especially Florida coming off an 11-1 regular season, season losing to Louisville in the Sugar Bowl. Follows that up with a 4-8 and record and a loss to Georgia Southern, I believe. Yeah, I mean, it's just a very bad season for Muschamp. We're going to talk about do we think that, that Florida has what it takes to, to take another step and actually get up into the SEC East and win it. It's a wide-open division this year. I mean, from four and eight to, to a winning season, we're going to talk about these two coaches, Brady Hoke and Will Muschamp. Is this it for them? Both are on the hot seat. What is it going to take for each team to actually get their coach off the hot seat? And Michigan, their fans expect winning. Florida especially, they expect winning. And it's not going to cut it what we've seen in the last couple of years out of both of these teams and head coaches. So this is it. We're going to talk about that. This is it for both head coaches. We're going to talk a little NFL. But before we do that, Game 5 of the NBA Finals is on tonight. Miami Heat visiting San Antonio. San Antonio with a commanding 3-1 lead in this series. Miami's hot right now in Game 5 starting out. This is a do or die. In order to to, to beat the two-time defending champion, San Antonio, you have to come out strong tonight. You haven't. And they're not just going to die right here. I don't believe Miami. They do have some pride, again, two-time in a, in a row defending champion. They're not just going to lay down and let you win at San Antonio. So, San Antonio, if you lose tonight in game five, and this goes back to Miami in game six, you're going to lose game six probably if it goes back. And then you're going to create a game seven, and you're going to have LeBron James. And we all know how LeBron does in game seven. So, you better take care of business tonight, San Antonio, if, you, if you're going to do it. Already in the first period, LeBron has 12 points and four rebounds. The Spurs have 12 points. So LeBron James is tied with the Spurs right now. The score is 22 to 12, four minutes left in the first. And it just looks like to me Miami is a hungrier team, and I guess they should be down 3-1. There is no tomorrow if they lose. San Antonio is a great home team. And we didn't talk about this. We missed Wednesday night show, but Miami, they lost two games in a row at home, games games three and four. And not only did they lose, they got blown out by 20 points in each of them. So tonight, Chris Bosh, of all players from Miami, has guaranteed the win. And, you know, I would believe it more coming from LeBron, Dwayne Wade, but come on, Chris Bosh guaranteeing a win. Um I just don't like him saying anything right now. But San Antonio is a team that in order to beat them, you're just going to have to to beat them for four periods, really. They do not go away. They've already cut it to seven, 350 left in the first. And and the NBA is a game of runs. That's all it is, which team can get the runs. And the problem with Miami 
in games three and four, you can't get down 20 to San Antonio and expect them to, to let you come back. They're just too fundamentally sound of a team. They have too many players that are involved. It's not a one- or two-man show. This is a five-player team with San Antonio plus their bench. Everyone knows their role. They understand. You can you can take Duncan out. You can take anyone out. And, and it's just going to keep running just like it normally does. And that's the problem a lot of teams run into with San Antonio. You have to play them for four periods. So Miami right now, they're hot. They're up 22 to 15. Can they can they continue this kind of pace against a team on the road? I, I just I don't think they can, guys. I think San Antonio is going to come away tonight with a win and and take care of business. As soon as I said that, they hit a three to cut it to four. San Antonio, guys, this is a team. They're too mature. They're too well coached to to come home in a game five to be able to to, to put a team like Miami away. If anybody knows what it takes to put a team away, San Antonio does. And this is a revenge series like we talked about in prior shows. San Antonio lost to Miami last year, and it was so close. One shot really turned the series. Miami took care of business. The same teams a year later, well, both are a little older, but San Antonio got a lot better. And I'm excited to see who wins this game, actually. But I think it's going to be the Spurs. I, I think they just have too much right now going for them. And if you watched game four the other night, you when you looked at Miami, you saw a look of them that was just, I mean, they were in shock. They were in awe. They were just watching San Antonio pass the ball five, six times a possession and wear them down. LeBron James can't do it all. The best player in the world, best player on the planet, he cannot beat San Antonio by himself. If Ray, or if, excuse me, if Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade and LeBron James, all three, do not have big games tonight, they're not going to win tonight. So it's just so hard to beat them in a seven-game series four times. And we'll see tonight as the show goes on. Right now, 25-18 Miami with two minutes left in the first. It's anybody's game. But I'm telling you, if Miami snoops this one out tonight, they're going to win game six. They're not going to go back to Miami and lose a third game in a row at home. I just don't see that happening, which will set the best game seven in a long time in the NBA Finals. It's just going to be crazy if it happens. I don't think it will. Again, I don't think it will. Just in case it does, just remember, I told you so. 646-716-5564. We're going to bring on Jonathan Miklos right now. Jonathan, I mean, are you just on the floor right now? Are you so excited seeing Miami with a commanding seven-point lead right now? Are you ready to give them game five? Ah. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, go Heat. Right. Yeah, no, uh, um, I have a 305 area code, guys. I know that's Miami area code and all that. But I'm a Magic fan, uh, first and foremost. Heat come right around, I don't know, 26, 27, 30 on that fan list because uh, they are my rivals. And I hope they lose. I hope they get obliterated tonight so we can see the implosion that's going to happen. Jonathan, you you telling me you're not one of those closet Miami Heat fans that started being a Heat fan with LeBron King? I'm going to be honest with you, the only time I ever rooted for the Heat uh, was 2006 when they were in the finals against the Mavericks. That's just because I don't like the Mavericks. Um, <laughs> you know, but I mean, yeah. I, I know. I did not become a closet Heat fan, to be honest with you. Uh, actually, when LeBron and all of them showed up, I became even more disdainful to Miami Heat. Yeah, Miami Heat. Jonathan, is it just me or do they look old? Does this Miami Heat team look older than San Antonio? They look older. They look worn down. They look beat up. I mean, I, I don't, 
I don't understand what's going on with this team. I mean, it's it's poor coaching on on Spolstra's part. Um, I, I definitely will, will put that out there. If if he wasn't Pat Riley's little delivery boy, um, his job would be on the line tonight. Uh, he needs to get Haslam in there. He needs to get Anderson in there. Um, you know, you can't have Bosch trying to check Duncan. He can't do that. You can't have Bosch be an offensive presence and then play defense against Duncan. It's not going to happen. You need to get Haslam and Anderson in there on Duncan. I, this whole the starting five in all reality should probably be, um, you know, Dwayne Wade, Ray Allen, LeBron James, uh, Bosch, and Chris Anderson, and then you you know you sub in with Haslam and Cole and Chalmers and all that. Because Wade at this point needs to be trying to check Parker, Allen and Ginobili. I mean, defensively you can get those matchups to work right, but Kawhi Leonard is, has been schooling LeBron the past couple of games. Yeah, well, I mean, he's a phenomenal player. Is it is it crazy for me to say he could be a top five player the next couple of years? It's not because we saw how great Kawhi was at San Diego State. Now here here's where Kawhi is never going to get the traction. He plays for the Spurs. And he plays for the Spurs at a time where Popovich believes in heavy rotation and heavy substitution. I mean, the Spurs are the first team, I think, to ever make the finals where nobody on their roster averaged more than 30 minutes a game. I mean, this is a team that is just built on team chemistry. Their bench plays the same style as their starters, which you don't see with a lot of teams. When LeBron James goes out, the Miami Heat offense totally changes. If Duncan, yeah. Ginobili, and Parker on the bench, that Spurs offense doesn't change. That's exactly what I said before you came on, Jonathan. I was like, this is the only team in basketball that that is just as good with their, their starting five on the bench. They just they just come in there and they, they continue to dominate. They just continue to wear teams down. And you know, Jonathan Miami came out hot tonight and everything. But what's going to happen in a in the second and third period when San Antonio punches them back in the mouth? Do you think Miami has enough to to come back on the road? Because looking at Game Four, it just looked like they were. They were surrendering. It's almost like, okay, San Antonio, you had us this year. We're going to go back to the drawing board. But I just don't think mm-hmm. they can continue this for four periods. And I think you're right. I think Miami's coming out right now. They're amped. They're juiced. San Antonio's sitting there going, let them waste all their energy now. We'll get you in the second half. Because people forget, this, they're playing this game at the AT&T Center. They're playing in San Antonio. San Antonio knows that floor better than anybody. And for those of us that have, that have played basketball, we under, you understand what I mean by know the floor the dead spots in the hardwood and all that, they know that floor better. Not only that, but it's the home crowd. It's the energy. This crowd's not going to walk out with 15, you know, with five, six, seven minutes left in the game like heat, heat quote-unquote, fans do. Yeah, it's going to, you know, if I'm Miami and we lose tonight, I'm going to make Chalmers walk back to Miami or find his own way back. There's no way I'm going to let this guy. I mean, what a disappointment to a team, Chalmers. Where has he been, Jonathan? I mean, is he scared? Is he just? Are the playoffs punting in this year or what? Well, I honestly don't know the answer to that because you're right. He looked, he looked pathetic. Uh, especially this year, he's looked down like near not awful. And I said, you know, going into tonight, my thought was Chalmers is either going to come out and try to be a superstar or he's going to come out and he's automatically going to pass, 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 pass. He's not going to put the ball in his hands. You can't have a man on a court. If he don't have, if he doesn't have his head right, that's just a fact of life. And I don't think Chalmers has his head right. I don't think he should be playing. I think you got to put Norris Cole in there. But I mean, out of all the players right now that they're in, you know, Rashard Lewis is playing great for Miami, no doubt. But Miami really misses Mike Miller right now. Shane Battier is just taking up roster spots. 
they really miss Mike Miller right now because last year we saw what Mike Miller, he single-handedly won two finals games last year with just the grit and a broken back. And, and I, they really miss somebody like him because LeBron doesn't have the leadership or have that drive, really, that guys like Miller and them showed. You know, Miller has a bad back. It isn't supposed to be playing at all. It's supposed to be looking at retirement. He comes out there last year in the finals and balls out. LeBron cramps up and has to be carried off the court and then comes out and ignores, like, the whole conversation. Like, we're not even talking about it. Well, LeBron, not for nothing, but you should know better and get yourself high grade enough so you that you don't cramp up because you're a superstar. He hasn't had a 40-point game. He hasn't taken over. Dwayne Wade has no jump. This, this team is – they're old. And, and which is sad, but they are old. It's funny how sports, when you can go from, wow, Miami Heat, best team in basketball, to old men in two years. I mean, it's just weird you see that. And, and I'd expect San Antonio to be the team that was struggling. But what you said earlier was, was dead on. There's a certain amount of minutes these guys play that allow them, when they're in the playoffs, to come back and, and be fresh. I mean, like, you put San Antonio by Miami, they're two different teams right now. They're like a bunch of old men. But LeBron, 17 points in the first, I just don't think he can carry that. That's what caused him to cramp up last time, trying to carry the whole team on his back. And here we are in the first period, 17 points. And they're not that far ahead. I mean, do you look for some more cramps tonight, Jonathan? I don't. I think LeBron learned from his mistake. And anytime you cramp up, Let's be honest, that's an error on your end. You didn't do something right. Because he hasn't cramped up any of the other four games. He not cramped up the whole postseason. That there was something that he did wrong. He didn't follow his, you know, his game day tradition or his couple games you know, pre game tradition. Mm-hmm. So I mean LeBron's gonna come out tonight. He's gonna rock like a superstar, and I expect him to, because he needs to be. But at the end of the day, without Ray Allen hit you know, getting twelve, without Wade getting twenty the team's not going to win. They need everybody to show up tonight. And I just don't know if they're going to get that. And Spolstra has got to be the worst coach in the NBA when it comes to making adjustments. He has not made one adjustment this whole this this, this whole series. I mean, he's, he's a guy I could replace right now and do a better job. You could replace right now and do a better job than what he did. But mm-hmm. but we'll see. You know, you know, I ran cross country before, Jonathan. The only two times I cramped up in a race was when I had a wild night the night before. So <laughs> mm-hmm. maybe maybe Le- maybe LeBron was out there, you know, getting a little wild the night before. I doubt it though. But come on, you're right. You made millions of dollars. You're the best player on the planet. My God, drink some Gatorade or Powerade, whatever it is that pays your salary uh, for your advertisements. But we'll keep a check on this game. We'll we'll keep a close eye as the show goes on. But sad news, uh, Jonathan, in the NFL, Hall of Fame Steelers coach Chuck Noll dies, 82 years old. Give me your thoughts on this. I mean, this is a great coach that I think gets overlooked because of Pitts the years after he left, the, the success. But tell us about the death of Chuck Noll and what it means to the NFL. Well, I mean, it, it's kind of hard to put into words because Chuck Noll was a great coach. And if you watch the NFL Network and you watch the um, – the America game episodes when you know for when Pittsburgh won the Super Bowl, you really got to see some sides of Chuck that nobody ever saw. And Rocky Byer told great stories about you know how Chuck was. And in all honesty, Chuck knows a lot like Tom Landry, uh, even though they were they were rivals. And uh, Greg, you know, and they kind of Greg Popovich kind of reminds me of them. 
um, you know, to the point where you really didn't hear a lot from them, but they consistently won. He was an absolutely fantastic coach, absolutely fantastic. Let everybody know, you know, defense is going to win championships. You know, there's no doubt about that. He put the game in Terry Bradshaw's hands and said, you call your own play. And Terry did, and they won the Super Bowl. I mean, he was one who was able to prove that you can have an offense with a power running game, two great receivers, Hall of Fame receivers nonetheless, Hall of Fame quarterback, and win, and not put up a lot of points, just be consistent ball control. I mean, absolutely fantastic coach. Um, you know, I, all of my friends who were Steeler fans, I, I know they all had their somber moments, all, all a little reflection on it, because, I mean, he, he meant a lot to the game of football, more than a lot of people will ever realize, just because he wasn't one of those coaches who was constantly put out there. Yeah, he, he's the only coach, Jonathan, to win four championships. I mean, <laughs> and, he, and he gets overlooked. I mean, do you miss that kind of coaching? That that tough that tough nose blue collar beat the hell out of you kind of coach. I mean, I miss that. I think the NFL suffers today because of not having as many coaches like that. Yeah, well, I, I agree, and you know, it, it's great when when you think about it. I mean, he won four championships in six years, and there, and that whole seventies. I mean, really, the Raiders, Steelers, and Dolphins dominated. They were knocking each other off all the time. I mean, absolutely phenomenal coach. And it's funny because Rocky Blair is trying to tell him a story, and he goes, Chuck Noll couldn't tell a joke to save his life. He would tell you a story, and you think <laughs> it has some deep meaning to it. And you're sitting there at the end of the story, and you're like, what? What, what, what did he say? Where are we supposed to get it? And he just walks around and goes, practice at 5 o'clock. Half time, he didn't yell and kick you, know, and, and, and kick you around. It was just like, Here, here's what we've got to do. Here's the adjustments. Go do it now. And, but you didn't want to let him down. Because when he got mad is when you got terrified of him because you knew you did something really, really, really wrong. That's the kind of coaching you need. And unfortunately, you got coaches who are too soft or too hard. Nobody ever followed the check null recipe, which is the same thing as Landry. You know, great coaches like that, they knew how to work with grown men. And that's what you have to do. It's the work of grown men. Let them know that you're the, you're the boss. They work for you. But at the end of the day, you're, you, I'm looking at you, not down at you, but I'm looking at you. And coaches nowadays seem to have forgotten that. I think that's where college coaches struggle too, Jonathan. I, I think when they come to the NFL, I think that's a good reason they, they struggle. But you, we look back at the greats, and, and you think about it, how many Super Bowl coaches do you remember, some of the great of all time, that the players just loved them because they were one of them, they were one of the players? I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that, right, that's why I look you have to be the leader. You you got to be able to relate to them and let them know that hey, I'm still your boss. I will kick your ass. I mean, but I love you. I'll be here for you. Anything you need. And I think that's why people like Bear Bryant were so successful, and you know, coaches like that. They're not equals. You don't put yourself as an equal when you're a head coach. You know, I think Pittsburgh knew who the head coach was, John. No, no. I mean, you're you're right. I you know and. You, you really are, I mean, because when you look at, you look at great coaches, super winning coaches, you look at Lombardi, you look at Noel, you look at Landry, Ditka, Parcells, uh, Belichick, they all run the same, essentially, they all run the same way. They really do. And, and it's that whole, I'm not an overbearing, going to tear you down and, you know, not even try to build you back up. I'm not going to be your buddy, buddy. It's, here's what you got to do. I'm your boss. You're my employee. Get it done. I can't replace you, and Lord knows I will. But at the end of the day, I'm going to be, I'm, I am going to be loyal to you. 
and 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 I told her that you have too many coaches who want to try and be buddy buddy. We I saw that firsthand at Tampa, Raheem Morris. He was literally out partying with his players for the game. We lost consistently. We were great at losing, but Raheem was great at partying with his players and building rapport. Yeah, that's that's a good point. You, you have to be the boss. Welcome in the chat room. Uh, the scorekeeper himself, Roger Noriega. Welcome to the show. Jonathan, any words Roger for Roger? Roger Pooh. There he is. Yeah, Roger was, uh, he was talking to me today about the World Cup, giving me some information about it, you know, getting on me for not watching it, not really getting on to me, but telling me why America, really, they don't, they don't prefer soccer, Jonathan. Tell me what you think. Roger told me um, he thought it was because there's not enough violence in it, not enough scoring. Tell me why a lot of Americans have trouble watching soccer. I think the reason why Americans don't like soccer, and I think it's also the same reason why a lot, you know, you'll find a majority of America doesn't give a hoot and a nanny about the NHL because these weren't sports we invented. We invented football, basketball, baseball. Okay, that's American sports. All right. And it's an American sport. We invented it. It's our sport. We're world champions. There's nobody else in the world who really plays football, but it's our sport. Gosh darn it! Soccer, we didn't create it. We didn't create the sport. We're we're late to the game. That's why a lot of people look at it and go, eh, "It's not ours, so we don't want it." Well, guess what? It is really the only universal game. It's the only game around the world where everybody just has to play the same. You know, hockey was invented by Canadians. The Canadian military, to be exact. It's another sport, or even though, you know, if you look at the original six franchises, four of them were in the U.S. It's still a game where people are like, eh, it's not really an American sport. You look at it and you're just like, come on, guys, just open your minds a little, please. Because soccer's a great game. The World Cup is one of the greatest sporting events you're ever going to see. And that's who won the Olympics. The World Cup smokes the Olympics. It really does. It's absolutely phenomenal. If you're not watching it, I'm going to ask you to please watch it. Because you're going to see emotion. You're going to see the emotion you still see in football. Just learn, you're just going to have to learn the rules, which are not really that hard to learn. The rules really aren't that hard. And you're going to have to get over flopping. Well, if you're going to watch the NBA, you can watch soccer. Because the flopping's the same. <laughs> well, Roger said, you know, he likes it the, the most because it's the best of the best there out there, Jonathan. These guys wait four years, and they're the best from every country. And it's something about when you play for your country, Jonathan, you you play a lot harder and with more passion and pride. And I think that's what a lot of people miss. They don't give it a chance, including myself. And I've, I've watched bits and pieces today to see if I could, but hopefully I'll be able to find out, like Roger said, who are the better teams and, and watch the better teams like that to, to enjoy it a little more. But you could you could put me watching soccer, and I probably couldn't tell you who the better teams were. But I'm going to try to watch it. I'm going to do that. I'm going to commit to the audience and everybody out there, hey, I'm going to open up a little bit and watch some World Cup. But I just thought well, I'd throw that I out mean, there real quick. You needed to watch the England-Italy game yesterday. That was an absolutely phenomenal game. That game right there was absolutely amazing. Italy and England. That is two great squads going up against each other. Italy prevailed, of course. Two great squads. You're going to see great games. Trust me. Look at, look at the group the U.S. is in. It's a group of death. you got Germany, Portugal, the U.S., and Ghana, four top 25 world teams. That's going to be a fantastic – every game should be great out of that group. Absolutely fantastic. So I want to ask you, can America win this whole thing? The bias side of me says yes. 
the biased side of me. Uh, just like every year, I think Florida State can win the next championship, the Bucks are going to win the Super Bowl, and the Rays are going to win the World Series. Um, <laughs> but, and the, the realistic side of me says that we're going to have a hard enough time getting out of our group. That's just going to be the honest reality. If we get out, we're not winning it. Germany's winning that group. If we get out of our group, we could make it to the round of eight, but then we get Argentina, most likely. And I don't know if we can get Argentina, but it's the best player in the world in Lionel Messi. Honestly, looking at it right now, Germany is, to me, is a far superior team. Now, get back to me after group play. We tell these guys to actually mess up, how the injuries have affected people. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, I think Germany, not Brazil, Germany's going to hoist that goal, is, gonna, is going to raise the trophy. Now, saying that, I've already heard from multiple sources down in South America, believe it or not, I actually have people down there, um, and they have told me that the fix is essentially in. Brazil's going to win this thing. It's an election year in Brazil. They spent a lot of money on this. Not only that, but they also have the Olympics in two years. And the president wants to get reelected, and they don't want to see the World Cup as a failure with the Olympics coming in 2016. So the fix is supposedly in with the refs, and I've seen some poor officiating going all around already. And Brazil's first game, very saw officiating going their way, blatantly. So watch out for that. Because Brazil's going to probably so go against Germany in the What is the punishment for beating the crap out of the officials during a game? That's a question. <laughs> you know, um, red cards are a wonderful thing. I'll tell you that. Uh, you don't want to be manned down. Uh, that's the one thing that about soccer. You get a red card, you lose a player for the game. You can't sub him out. You go from 11 men to 10. Um, you don't want a game to be bailed on. It's a real tough. Guys are going to come out and play hard. If you watch the Spain and Netherlands game, you're going to understand. And, and you saw that Netherlands blew out Spain. But you don't understand why the game meant so much to Netherlands. Go back to 2010 to the World Cup final. You know, Spain won that game. When all rights, Netherlands should have dominated it. That's why Netherlands came out with so much emotion and won that game. That's one of the things you just have to look at. There's so much going on here. There's rivalries between countries you didn't even know about. The U.S. and Ghana yeah, have a rivalry in soccer, believe it or not. Four years, you have to sit there and, and Jonathan think about it. It's not like in football, you get a year. You have four years to actually mm-hmm. let that build up inside of you. But, yeah, I wanted to throw that out there. I, I can't stand officials fixing games, no matter what it is. Even if it was for my team, it would get on my nerves. But you're listening to Weigh In Sports Talk Live on blocktalkradio.com. And Roger Noriego's in the chat room right now. Jason Humphrey, I know you. I see you in the studio. If you need to talk in a little while, press number one. We're about to get into our college football segment. Tonight is, I mean, it's like, Jonathan, it's like Christmas almost, thinking about it. College football starts. In just a few months. What are we, 70-plus days away, something like that? 73. 73 days. And how many Saturdays left? How many Saturdays do we have left that we do not get to watch football, starting with this upcoming uh, one? Um, I'm going to take a guess and say, what is that, seven? Ten. Maybe something like that. Yeah, something like that. But I'll, we just got to get through June, guys. And all of a sudden, July's here. Get through that full month, and now we're in college football month. And, you know, the NFL preseason games will start in as well. As soon as the NFL preseason starts, that's when I start getting excited because you know, Jonathan, mm-hmm. it's right around the corner. 
Uh, well, before we get off into college, what do you think about HBO Hard Knocks going to be with the Falcons this year? And I said it earlier on Couch's show, and I think I said it on Roger's show, Sports Talk with the Guys. What a boring – this is the most boring team you could probably put in Hard Knocks. What are the ratings going to be this time? Well, it's going to be interesting because people are going to want to watch the Falcons because you had three straight years of them – running through the regular season, flopping in the postseason, and then last year, complete injury disaster. People are going to want to get to know Matt Ryan. They're going to want to get to know Julio Jones. They're, 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 you know, you're going to want to get to know some of the guys on that defense, like Sean Witherspoon. This is going to be, I mean, the ratings, it's not there like when Miami had Ocho Cinco and talking about the Bengals with all their criminals and the Cowboys with being the Cowboys and all that. But, I mean, I, I'm going to watch it. I'm excited. You know, just from the standpoint of it's the Falcons, so I get to learn a little bit about them. Being a Bucks fan, I get a little more in-depth on them. Um, but, I mean, at the end of the day, hard knocks just means that football season's right around the corner. It does. Hard knocks will be on HBO. I think it, it starts airing um, in August. So we'll, we'll be able to watch the training camp of the Atlanta Falcons, see what they have to offer. Uh some news in college football, Jonathan, before we start breaking down the Michigan Wolverines and the Florida Gators. I'm excited about these two teams to talk about, but former Georgia safety Trey Matthews, five-star safety, transfer to Auburn. Remember, he got dismissed from Georgia just uh, you know earlier this month, and all of a sudden Auburn gains another uh, transfer. Jonathan, I mean, if this kid stays clean, just say – he says, okay, I'm going to act like an adult now. How? What could this mean for Auburn? And then what could it mean for Georgia losing a talent like this? Because this, it's hard to find a good five-star safety. Well, Georgia's been hemorrhaging defensive talent. I mean, that has been a huge problem for them. And I don't understand why they haven't been able to keep – I mean, I understand why they haven't been able to keep it under control. And, and that comes back to Mark Rick not being really tough on his players. Uh, he needs to be a little more tough on his players because if he was, they wouldn't put up with the crap. Um, but, I mean, for Auburn, this is a huge, huge pickup. Now, he's probably not going to play this year. Um, no, he's not. But, I mean, you get Trey Matthews for at least two years to anchor the back end of that secondary. That's huge. And for, for Jeremy Pruitt, that job's looking tougher and tougher. Should have been messing around with co-eds at FSU. Could have stayed there and, had an easy, and could have had an easy gig, bro. Well, Jonathan, what surprises me is, I guess it shouldn't surprise me, the the Georgia fans right now, how much they hate these kids. And when they they get dismissed or something, they turn against them. You saw it with Mettenberger when he went to LSU. You saw it with Nick Marshall, especially when he came to Auburn, and now he's playing for national championships, and Georgia's without. Now with Matthews, I, I think there's something going on at Georgia. And I hope Omar calls in tonight, Omar Oliver, and discusses the Georgia Bulldogs with us because something's going on to where Mark Rick, when they get into town, when they get into school, something's happening that's causing these kids not to act the right way. And what do you think? Is this a kid problem or is this a Georgia problem, really? Well, I think he doesn't pay too much attention to character issues when he's recruiting kids. Some schools do have to take an eye and look at it. You and I both know that. Um. I think he he he. Can't, I think he's just recruiting to recruit, um, and he's doing a good job at it. But I think when they get on campus, he kind of lets them walk their dog, gives them too big of a leash. And 
that might be a problem. He might need to rein them in. He might need to pull Saban and lock these fellas down. Uh, or with Charlie Strong's in over in Texas and telling everybody you have to live on campus unless you're a senior. You know, and, and I think I think they really – I think Rick needs to try and reel this program in, but he might have already lost control of it. This might be just the beginning of the end uh, at the end of the day. It's been spiraling out of control, uh, these players just hemorrhaging out. Isaiah Crowell, Trey Matthews, Harvey Clemens. I mean, this is become a wreck. These are these are big time recruits, and and I think people that are predicting Georgia's season and looking ahead, trying to predict it. Jonathan, how big is this going to be? I know you have Gurley back and Marshall, but you have a new quarterback, really, and you have a defense with a new system. And you know as well as I do, and the listeners out there, how hard it is to install your defense in one season, especially shorthanded. How, I mean, how is this going to affect Georgia this season? I think it's going to result in a four, at least a four-loss season for these guys because the defense, when you start getting into the secondary, depth issues, talent issues, you're playing teams like Auburn, uh, LSU, Alabama, teams that can, can run the ball, throw the ball, and do it all. That's going to cause problems in that. No, you're right, it is, and... I honestly don't know how Georgia's going to be able to pull this season out. I'm going to take a closer look at their schedule and see if there's games that look like it's going to head their way. But the way it looks right now, this is an 8 run team. I mean, it really is. And I, I, I don't know I don't know how, how well, they can get any better. Well, I'm going to tell you, Jonathan, they play LSU out of the West. No, hold on. I think they – but when I, I know they play Auburn, and I know – I think they played – for some reason I thought they played LSU. I could be wrong. I'm trying to get to their schedule right quick. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I apologize for that. Um, I just want to see how it's going to impact them. You know they start off with Clemson. Here it is. They're scheduled this year. At, they play Clemson at home, and then the next week they travel to South Carolina, and they play at Missouri this year. They play Florida, as always. They play Auburn. I mean, but looking at that, the first two games of the year, what if that that defense hadn't had enough time to gel? What if, you know, they're flat on offense because they have a new quarterback? They could be 0-2 right off the bat, Jonathan, which which spells doom. It doesn't mean they can't win the East, but it's hard to come back from that 0-2 hole, especially with a team that, that kind of struggled last year. Well, I'm not, if I'm George, I'm not – if I'm a Georgia fan, let me say that. I'm not worried about Clemson. Clemson's going under new quarterback, new receiver. I mean, that, that, yeah, Clemson's offense is in a full rebuild. Their defense has never been anything special. So I'm not worried about that Clemson game. Um, South Carolina's a loss. Auburn at this rate is probably a loss, unless the miracle gets returned in their favor this year. Um, Florida's piece of cake. Come on now. It's the Gators. Let's, let's be honest. That, 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 that high school team up in Gainesville can't compete with anybody. Uh, Georgia, you know, if Florida can't beat Georgia Southern, they can't beat Georgia. <laughs> now, I mean, I don't know. I mean, at Missouri is going to be tough, but they're looking at revenge. Georgia's got games where they're looking at their schedule going, well, you know, we're going to come in and we're going to do this. And it's like, well, guys, not for nothing, but these guys are like, we're going to come in, we're going to do this. They're now gone. They're leaving. What do you have left? Gurley, Marshall, and who? Exactly. Exactly. And think about the wear and tear that's going to happen to these running backs um, during the season, of course, of an SEC season. And I just 
I really, Georgia fans out there talking about winning the East, winning the SEC, I mean, it can happen. We saw Missouri and Auburn go, but at least those two teams had the talent in place, you know, to be able to do that. I look at Georgia, they're talented, but this is a team in chaos. I mean, they're a team that can lose to Vanderbilt again. They're a team that can slip, slip up and lose to a Kentucky team. You never know about them, but Mark Rick needs to be, this needs to be Mark Rick's final season to either put up or shut up. He's been there too long to have one SEC championship, no rings. And, my God, I mean, the in-state rivals Georgia Tech. If you don't win that every year, something's wrong. But there's no – I mean, the Georgia fans are okay with this. And we'll break down Georgia another time, Jonathan. But I want to start off talking tonight about a team that's, that it's, it's put up or shut up for Brady Hoke at Michigan, Jonathan. And I look at their schedule this year coming up. And at Notre Dame, at Michigan State – at Ohio State, those three games. Mm-hmm. Honestly, do you think Michigan's going to win one of those three? Maybe Notre Dame. No, I, I can't even get behind Notre Dame. Maybe Notre Dame. I don't know about. Jeez, that schedule's ugly. But you know that's, that's the only three that's games they play, though. Yeah, but that's all they play. So, Michigan, Appalachian State, Jonathan at Notre Dame, Miami of Ohio, Utah, Minnesota at Rutgers. Penn State, at Michigan State, Indiana, at Northwestern, Maryland, and at, at Ohio State. I mean, that should be right there. In order to keep your job, at a minimum, Jonathan, if you're Brady Hoke, I'm talking about at the minimum, 9-3, and three, with no embarrassing yeah. losses, with no blowout yeah. losses. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Firing, really firing Al Borges, firing Al Borges, the offensive coordinator, people think that was the problem. But let me tell you, Jonathan, they brought in Doug Nussmeyer out of Alabama. He was about to be fired anyway. People don't even talk about that by Nick Saban. Nick Saban had enough. But, you know, Michigan's lost their identity of playing smash-mouth football, really. Hard nose. They don't have really the players in place. But now you bring this offensive coordinator in, and Nussmeyer, it seems to me Alabama lost their power ability to run the football on third and short with this this guy, and I think that's why Saban was going to get rid of him. What kind of impact do you think Nussmeyer is going to make for this Michigan offense? You return a quarterback that's been there, it seems, 12 years, Devin Garner. Is this the year, his third offensive coordinator, that he's going to do something? I don't know. I mean, I had an expectation for Gardner last year, and he really flopped, and I look like a fool. We're putting so much stock in him. Um, I mean, do I think he'd have a good year? Yeah. I mean, but at the end of the day, Michigan's problems last year weren't the offense. They put up 41 Ohio State. Their offense obviously wasn't an issue. I mean, yeah, Michigan State, their offense sputtered. No doubt about that. Uh, Notre Dame, offense sputtered. No doubt about that. But at the end of the day, I mean, looking at it, this offense isn't, hasn't really been too much of an issue. It's been the defense that you look at and you're like, dude, can you not let Indiana drop 60 on you? It's Indiana. I mean, how is Indiana outgunning you right now? You're going to let Ohio State drop 42 on you? Really? I mean, the defense seems to have lost their identity. Uh, you bring in Nussmeier, do they really are they really set up for a power offense? Are they really set up for that? No, they've been running a spread for 10 years. Yeah, I, I, don't know. I look at Brady Hope, though, Jonathan. This is it. For Brady Hope, this is it. How long are Michigan Michigan fans going to sit by and watch their team go three and five in conference, seven and six overall? I mean, they're projected this year eight and four, 
five and three record, I, I don't think that's enough to keep his job. I don't think eight and four is enough to to make Michigan fans happy. I, I, they're going to have to beat Ohio State, Michigan State, or Notre Dame and win ten games this year in order for him to keep his job. I'm saying ten and two with a BCS bowl bid is the only thing that's going to keep his job. If they go 9-3 and three and they get a January bowl bid, I think there will be debate about it. It just depends on how ugly those three are to Notre Dame, Michigan State, Ohio State. It just depends on how ugly they are. If they're all close games and it's like, well, shit, you know, I mean, well, pardon me. Um, well, you know, well, you know, crap, I mean, what more could we have done kind of a thing? Then I get it. I do. I really do. Because it's not like Michigan's pulling in top ten recruiting classes right now. Let's be honest about that. And that's got to be the, the thing that worries you if you're a Michigan fan. You know, we're, oh, you brought in Jabril Peppers. And uh, who else? I mean, look at the recruiting classes. They just lost George Campbell, arguably not the top receiver in the in the 2015 recruiting class. They just lost him. He'd be committed. I, I mean, they're, well, they're having a hard time getting commits right now. Well, I mean, Michigan fans won't admit this, and Sonya's in the chat room. She could tell you Saban was about to put Nussmeyer on the street. I mean, his, Alabama's offense, even though they had the playmakers around, they made some big plays. When it, when it was third and two this year, when they needed a fourth and one, they needed a yard. The way his blocking schemes are, it was hard on, on, in order to get that. Going to the Big Ten, it's, it's not going to be easier. With the, the, He doesn't have the talent on offense that he had with Alabama. The only reason that, that he was successful at Alabama is because Nick Saban allowed him you know, told him what to do and how to do it, and the defense was good. And they're just five-star athletes everywhere. He's going to Michigan, a team in disarray. You remember Hope started 11-2? and two. He went then 8-5 and five and 7-6. and six. He's heading in the wrong direction. And mm-hmm. firing these offensive coordinators are good. We're going to talk about another coach that just did that in a moment. It's okay to pass blame and, and fire this coordinator and do that. What is really wrong with Michigan, Jonathan? When you look at Michigan, the last three years, the decline, what happened? It's really been – you can tie a lot to quarterback play. They've had quarterbacks who are turnover prone. Well, Denard Robinson fun to watch, yeah, but Denard Robinson didn't play quarterback at the end of the day. You know, I mean, Michael Vick was a fun quarterback in Virginia Tech. He didn't throw the football that much. You know, um, I mean, that, that, that's really – it's been their, their lack of being able to really get a quarterback to get it going – their offensive line has not been good. Their offensive lines have not been good. They haven't been able to get a running game really going outside of, you know, Denard scrambling. This offense just can't seem to get it together. And because the offense can't get it together, it seems like the defense is getting hung out there to dry. But that defense ain't too shabby either. I mean, Ohio State and Michigan both have the defenses where you look at them and you can go, that's not good. That's not going to last. The defense is going to get fried if they play a real football team. And we've seen it. Yeah. Well, Sonia, welcome to the show. Sonia Minson, what's going on, Sonia? Hey, Tarvin, what's going on? We're just talking some Big Ten football right now. College football is getting close. And tell us about Doug Nussmeyer from, that went to Michigan from Alabama. What can you tell us about him? <laughs> He's a hell of a guy. <laughs> Wish we still had him. Seriously? Yep. I heard Saban was about to fire him, and uh, he kind of told him, hey, go find another job if you can, accept that job. 
Saban wasn't very happy. That's why he brought Kiffin in before he even got rid of Nussmeyer uh, to evaluate the offense. If that's not a, a red flag or a writing on the wall, I don't know what is. Well, all I know is while he was at Alabama, they had success. Things were working. So if something happened before those last two games that we lost, who knows? But I'm one of those, if it ain't broke, don't try to fix it. <laughs> so something must have been going on. But I personally, I don't have any problems with them. Yeah. How do you think, how do you think the Michigan Wolverines are going to do this year. Remember, Brady Hope's first year, 11-2, and two, and then he went 8-5 and five and 7-6. and six. It just seems like he's going in the wrong direction. What's he going to have to do to keep his job this season? What Brady's going to have to do is, number one, he's going to have to focus strictly on football. He's going to have to recruit some players that have a team mentality. Unfortunately, when you look at Michigan the last two years, there's always been, and I noticed this, mostly in teams that are are touted to be, you know, the next best whatever, but they always end up falling short. There's always, like, that one superstar, that one person that everybody focuses on, like he's supposed to put the team on his back and, you know, run him in, kind of like a cam. Um, I think – I don't know what's going on up at, at Michigan. There's There's been a lot of talent there. And it just doesn't seem that they're recruiting where they really have needs. I'm not sure what – it's hard to say. And Michigan has always been traditionally a pretty good team. I mean, it's not like they've been bottom feeders or middle tier, you know. <laughs> UM's got, got a great history. But I just – I don't know. There seems to be a disconnect. It kind of reminds me, honestly, of what was going on in um, Auburn right before Gene Chisholm oh. left when there was some – you know, infighting going on in the coaching staff, and it, it, you know, it boils over or rolls over into the team. And it sort of kind of reminds me of that. So I don't know what the, the problem hog there. I don't know if it's Brady or uh, or Hoke or one of his assistant coaches or a recruiter. You know, I don't know who it is, but there's something there that's just not gelling. And he needs well, to fix it before he finds himself out. I want to ask you this, and be honest, you're a Bama fan. Let's go back to when two years ago when Alabama and Michigan played. That was coming out after the 11-2 and season, Michigan talking about national championships. Did Nick Saban have something to do with this? Did, did that, that beat down, did that destroy the confidence of Michigan and even their coach? It might. I'm not going to sit here and take all the credit. As a, you know, as a Bama fan, I would love to, but I do think – that the fact that that game was so hyped, you know, it was almost like a North versus South thing again, and so many different media outlets were trying to turn it into so many different battles, you know, the North versus South, uh, tradition versus tradition, just all sorts of BS. But <laughs> I do think that a lot of um, a lot of that may, I'm, I'm not going to say it's all of it, but that might have something to do with it, because when you have a team that, when your morale is gone and you can't infuse it into the players that you're bringing in, you can't infuse it into the players that you already have, it, you're just going to fail. It's just not going to work. And that's why I said, again, it goes back to – and the only team that I can really use is Auburn, and this is not a just to Auburn, you know me. But you could tell as a team, as a, as a team that Auburn had no – there was something very, very wrong because there was too much talent for Auburn to go three and nine. 
And then when you saw some of the, the things that we saw looking on the sidelines, and when Jason and I went to the Iron Bowl, we actually had the binoculars, and we were looking at the sidelines, and you see Chiswick off to the side, and not until the last five minutes of the fourth quarter did you ever see him in a team huddle. And that was really sad. So I don't know if that's it, but there is a disconnect. There's something going on at Michigan because Michigan, they've just had too much talent for them not to be a lot more successful than they, than they have been. Well, what does your husband think about Michigan? I know Jason's a, a Big Ten guy. He knows the Big Ten better than anybody I know. What does he think? Have, have y'all talked about Michigan, what they're going to do this season? We have sort of. We've kind of skimmed it. We really don't start talking about it until later. He's actually upstairs. I was going to see if I could get him down here. But he's kind of said the same thing. He's not sure what's going on up there other than they're just imploding. And, it's again, it's sad, you know, because you do see – when you see, when you think of the Big Ten and you think of the the teams that are traditional powerhouses, Michigan is in a conversation. You know, it's not just a uh, Ohio State or something like that. No, Michigan is a legendary traditional powerhouse. So it's just hard to it's hard to watch a team implode so much and try so hard, but they just can't seem to get it right. And maybe they need whether it's like again whether it's Brady Hoke, whether it's somebody on his staff that he needs to get rid of. But there is a divide in that team, and until they until they fix that, it's not going to work. And until they start focusing and thinking as a team instead of Denard Robinson and you know, or the Wolverines featuring this person, you know, once you get away from that, and it's just strictly about this is our team, you know, that it's just going to be what it is. Well, Jonathan, I, I look at a bowl game as momentum. I like I like to see a team. What do they do? after practicing a month, playing in a bowl game, kind of showcasing maybe the future, what they're going to do next year, they get beat 31-14 to 14 by Kansas State. It was late in the game they scored that 14th point. I mean, how big is that mm-hmm. game? Well, I, I honestly, I, that, was, that, was a, that was kind of a statement as to where Michigan was, um, not only for their future, but what they're really looking at right now. And, and that game looked like a team that didn't want to be there, to be, all, to be honest with you. It um, looked like a team who had already mentally checked out, weren't ready to show up when it mattered. I mean, this – and I think Sonya has – I think Sonya is barking up the right tree when, when she brings up the infighting because I, there was. You could tell there, there had to have been something, and that's why the offensive coordinator got fired because, again, that offense wasn't that bad. I mean, it's just, it was an absolute disaster late in the year. Completely fell apart. Kansas State walks their dog up and down the court, and uh, it, it was it, it was embarrassing to watch. Um, I mean, that was probably one of the few bowl games where I, I watched the first maybe two quarters and said, okay, is there anything else we can do tonight? Yeah, it was a, it was a bad game. And any time I evaluate a team, I start with the top. I start at the leadership. What do they have there? A lot of inconsistencies. And I may have to call back in in a minute. I'm getting an echo. Is anybody hearing that besides me? No. No. All right, let me try. Sonia, I'm going to mute you just for a second and see if it clears it up. And then, Jonathan, I'll, I'll take to you. I think that sounds a little better. Um, Sonia, if you're on speakerphone, if you could turn that off and come back on, that would be great. But I, I look at leadership, guys, Sonia and Jonathan. I look at who they have up at the top. And when you see a head coach that's there and struggling, 
and you and all you're doing is rotating coordinators in and out. That's that's kind of like Tuberville used to do sometimes, and and some other coaches. You have to you have to be the leader. You have to develop really your philosophy to those players. I look at Michigan mm-hmm. guys. I really see a team that's they're confused. They don't know who they are, their identity. Like Jonathan said, these guys weren't bad last year. They were fourth in the Big Ten in scoring, 46 nationally rushing. That's where they struggled, only 125 yards a game. That's not going to cut it. That was last in the Big Ten, I believe. Passing, averaging 250 a game, that's not terrible. So 373 a game, 10th in the Big Ten, 86 nationally. you got to get better. And if Al Borges was the problem with that, then so be it. Let's let's get rid of him. But, but Sonia, I don't think Al Borges was the problem, and I don't think Nussmeyer is the fix. And I have to kind of agree with you on that. Um, you won't know until Nussmeyer gets there, but, but anybody walking into a situation where there is infighting going on, it's almost like, okay, choose a side. You know what I mean? So whoever hired him obviously hired him for a side, if you, get, you, know, if you understand what I'm saying. Yep. But it's one of those situations, whenever I see a team that has talent, okay, if I look, if I'm looking at a team and I'm like, okay, good defense, good offense, solid players, okay, you know, looks like they should be doing something. And you see coaches not talking to each other on the sidelines. You see any sort of arguing, bickering, or ignoring of each other, like they're not talking to each other or they're purposely ignoring each other. I already know that that's going to be issues. That's mm-hmm. going to start some problems. So don't even don't put your money on them. Don't pick them in your pickums. You know, because it's going to mm-hmm. trickle down. I've, I've, it, it doesn't matter what level you are when you play any sort of organized sports, whether it's professional, amateur, high school, like I did, or whatever. If your coaches are having issues, just like parents who are having issues in their marriage and they think they're hiding it from their kids, no. <laughs> the players see it. The, the players feel the tension. And whether they realize it or not, the players, they try to stay neutral, but they can't. They're always going to pick a side. So it's just like at Auburn, and so many people, and, and, you know, we knew players on the team, and we've got friends who know players on the team or have, or have you know, sons or uh, playing or working in the administration, and hearing from them that there was this, this big, you know, issue between Chizik and um, what's his name, the recruiter. Uh, God, what can I think Trooper of Taylor? Cooper, yeah, Trooper. When there was a big issue between Trooper and Chiswick, okay, that whisper started, I'd say pretty much like at the end of 2010, maybe the beginning of 2011, and then you could see the further the divide got between those two, the worse the team got. Mm-hmm. And then look what happens when you get rid of the issue. You bring in somebody who has a team mentality, brings a team together, and boom, overnight, Auburn goes from three to nine to playing for a national championship. Nobody can tell me that a coach does not set the tone for their team. So if Michigan has talent and something is going on, it's something going on in that coach's staff, and it's not going to get better until they fix that problem. If Brady hoax the problem, get rid of them. You might have to clean house and get rid of all of them, but you need to get rid of that cancer so you can get your team back on track because Michigan's got too much talent for them not to be competing. Well, That's great points, Sonia. That's great points. And you know what Michigan's problem was, and it's the same problem that we – 
we we see we've seen at University of Florida um, is that pretty hope wants to run a power running offense, and that's why he went and got Nussbaum. Don't don't let him fool anybody. That's why he went and got him. He wants to run a power O offense, and all the players that came in said, "No, we have talent for the spread. We're going to run the spread." But why do you think we can't run the football, guys? It's, it's like, why do you think we can't run? We're sitting there running out of a spread with here's your five linemen block. Well, Ohio State knows that you're going to hand it off to Tucson. Let's put seven in the box. You have five. Well, how are you going to stop them? I mean, at the end of the day, it was, it was a coaching disconnect between the head coach and the offensive coordinator, just like we see at Florida between Weiss and Muschamp and then whoever the last guy was. I just can't remember his name now. Um, and Muschamp. I mean, that became the problem, and you see it at both schools where their coaches want to run one, one style of offense, and the coordinators are like, no, we want to run this. We're, we're recruit, we've recruited for this. We're going to run this. And you just had that bickering, which led to the point where now all of a sudden offensive players are getting jumbled, things are getting mixed up, and players don't know which side to lean towards. And all of a sudden they start leaning one way, and something tanks. I mean, Tanya hit it dead on. Well, yeah, you, I saw it at too. Auburn, too. I saw it at Auburn when they were running. You guys saw it. Malzahn left. They had, they had the recruitment for a spread offense. They tried to run the power offense with no quarterback, no running back, no fullback, no receivers, yep. and they can't even get a first down. So I, I don't care what system you run as a coach. When you're coming in initially, you do whatever your talent's there to win now. You, you, you implement you. your slowly. You get it there. You don't just come in and change it all together. We saw Auburn do it twice with Tony Franklin and now this bozo that came in, and, and look what it got, Sonia. John, well, Jonathan, I can tell you. Jonathan, check your phone real quick, Jonathan. I think I'm hearing some echoes, and it could be yours. Well, I can tell you another thing that Michigan needs to stop doing, and not only not only Michigan, but just every every college team right now, please, please stop with this whole, he's a dual-threat quarterback. No, he's not. Okay, <laughs> I am so sick of hearing. Oh no, he can run and throw. No, he can do one or the other. Okay, when he plays a real team, he'll be exposed. It's the same. Denard was the next. Oh, he's the next dual threat quarterback. He can throw and he can run. Denard cannot throw worth a blank. But that's all we kept hearing, and then they kept trying to put him in this hole, and you could tell he wasn't comfortable with it. I mean, the guy is talented. He can run. He can, he can just – he made some great plays. But when it comes to throwing the ball, <laughs> I mean, the first time I actually saw him jumping up looking for a receiver, that was uh, – to me, that was the most hilarious thing. I looked for that on YouTube, and I just would just play it over and over again because that was the funniest thing I'd ever seen in my life, is a quarterback actually jumping up, looking up to see if he can, you know, find a receiver. So that right there is an issue. You know, you've got, to, you've got to find an actual quarterback. Quit trying to pigeonhole these guys or turn them into something they're not because the only thing you're doing is providing fodder for me to laugh at. Exactly. you you gotta, you got to really play the hand you're dealt. And let's move on real quick, guys, to Florida. Stay right there. I'm hanging up and I'm calling back in because, you know what, it could be my phone. So stay put, guys. I'll be right back. Okay. Sounds good. Jonathan? Yeah. Okay, you can still hear each other. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, yeah, I didn't leave you by yourself. Um, that that would be cool. What'd you say? Say it one more time? 
I wouldn't leave you by yourself. That'd be cool. Oh, no, don't do that. <laughs> but thank you for agreeing with me as far as Michigan, because that's what I see. There's just too much talent there, so I think it's got it's got to be the coaching staff. There's got to be an issue there. Yeah. Well, I'm back, guys. I am back. There is. And you, I, I, I think it was my phone, actually, was the problem, or maybe two out of us three, so I, I, I'm not echoing <laughs> myself now. But Michigan, I think they're a team that's going to go – Seven and five, eight and four. Brady Hope will lose his job. Michigan will go into another direction. Have maybe Les Miles may leave LSU and go back to Michigan. You never know. But there's one team that tonight is going to be very interesting. We're going to go about 15 more minutes or whatever long it takes us to talk about the Florida Gators. And but all three of us here know this team very well. We see Will Muschamp. What's going on? And Sonya, I'll start with you. It, it seemed to me that some of the end bickering was happening at Florida, just like it was at Auburn before, just like it was at Michigan. Muschamp changes offensive coordinators, but I still think that's not the problem. What's going on at Florida? Whew. Florida, Florida, Florida. Florida is one of those teams that you have – you just hate to see screw up. I mean, you see so you much greatness there. Can you hear me? Yes. You hate Hello? to see Florida screw up? Okay, there we go. Why? <laughs> I hate to see Florida get to the point where they just implode just on themselves. <laughs> it's, it's, it's seriously like it's like watching the Keystone Cops. Sorry, guys, I was walking through our living room and I didn't want to have all the background noise. Jason was watching the game. Anyway, um, I really... As much as I like Will, I don't know if it's a problem where they keep hiring people that he can't get along with, but there's, it just seems like there's always some sort of Will versus whoever. You know, mm-hmm. Will versus this person, Will versus that person, and they can never get it together. Whoever comes in has got to know, just like with Nick Saban, Will is king okay he is the head coach he's the man you've got to bow to his wishes because ultimately guess what you work for him so i don't know if it's if it's been some bumping of heads or some ego trips here but whatever it is it's not been working florida's recruited great they've had some great recruits out there but i think between the injuries and whatever's going on you know again with the infighting that's been their biggest issue and also Florida uh, believing their own hype. Mm-hmm. Well, Jonathan, Jonathan, I look at these Gators and, and I look at the schedule. You come from a 4-8 and eight team, you lose to Georgia Southern. And let me give you some statistics, guys, real quick. In the SEC rankings and offense last year, scoring dead last, rushing 13th, passing 12th, total dead last in the SEC, which reminds me <laughs> of something. But the defense, the defense, even though that offense was very bad, the bright spot is the defense was still a top three defense in the league. And it's hard, even if you're a good defense, to keep up when your offense is that bad. So, Jonathan, looking at the schedule, they play Alabama and Tuscaloosa. They play LSU out of the They play Missouri, Georgia, South Carolina, Florida State, and Tallahassee. I mean, even though they improved, what's the best record this team could possibly have? Really? Well, if you all remember last year, Y'all called me crazy when I said Florida was five and seven, six and sixteen. 
Apparently, I overshot because they wanted to be in 4 and 8. I mean, my goodness, I apologize. But 4 is not going to get much better. Let's just be honest. This is not a this is a football team that on offense is horrendous. And I was, I've been saying that for a while. Defensively, they just lost a lot on their defense, all things since when you look at the what happened in the draft, the players they lost, things like that. So the defense, I expect to take a step back. Not much of a step back. It's still very talented defense. They still have that punk Dante Fowler Jr. and his loudmouth daddy. But at the end of the day, I'm looking at this. Hello? Hello? Well, I, think, I think Jonathan got disconnected right here, so we'll uh, wait for him to call back. He was on a good rant, back. too. <laughs> uh, he was on a good rant, so he'll call back in a minute. But looking at Florida, they brought in a new coordinator from Duke, offensive coordinator Kurt Roper. They, they they brought him in to help build this offense back. Jeff Driscoll is a quarterback that's very talented out of high school. I think he was a five-star. But, Sonia, they bring back a lot on this team, especially on defense. But looking at this schedule, that's what bothers me. Even the game at Tennessee October yeah. 4th on, at Vanderbilt, you never know. I mean, this is a, a 7-5 and five team at best, Sonia. You don't go to Tallahassee, Alabama, play LSU, Georgia, South Carolina, Mizzou. all these teams. And, and expect uh, to win the SEC, really. I think this is a year where Florida fans better be patient, whereas 7-5, and 8-4 and four could be a great season for these guys. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at – I mean, they've got three cupcakes on here. But even with that, considering what happened with them, I, I really think Florida totally lost their will when they got shocked by Louisville. And ever since then, it's just been, okay, who are we? What are we doing? Seriously, they're like watching the Keystone Cops. If you look at that Florida-Miami game, that game was actually funny. It wasn't just just pathetic. It was funny because you were sitting out there. You would see one moment of greatness and then five moments of just sheer buffoonery. So (laughs) if that's the same Florida team that I'm going to see this season – I mean, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for these guys to get out there and just, just totally, you know, like, which way did he go? Which way did he go? They they seem to have lost their will, their spirit, who they are. I just don't know what is going on in Florida. Well, we got Jonathan back. Jonathan, go ahead what you were saying, sir. I don't know what happened. You want to get rid? I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. I got kicked out, apparently, of uh, Blog Talk Radio's Pro Gator. Um, <laughs> but looking at this, this this is a six and six team again. This offense is terrible. This offense is not not very good. It's terrible, and this offense isn't going to get magically better because they got a new offensive coordinator. Um, they got good running backs. Driscoll's still an awful quarterback. They have no receivers. That offensive line is still suspect. That whole defense, while it's very talented, eh, I mean they can only carry you so far, and they got a murder schedule this year. They really do. They're not coming into Tallahassee and getting a win. They're not going to the Tuscaloosa and getting a win. They're not beating LSU. They're not beating Georgia. They're not beating South Carolina. Missouri? Maybe. I mean, that's, that's essentially where I'm sitting. This is a team that's 7-5 and five at the best. They go 8-4, and I'll be really stunned. Yeah, let's look at their schedule. The first three guys, Idaho, Eastern Michigan, and Kentucky, all is a swamp. They're... They're 3-0, no doubt about it. I don't think anybody's going to disagree, but let's talk the rest of it. At Alabama, at Tennessee, home against Missouri, uh, neutral side against Georgia, at Bandy, home against South Carolina, home against Eastern Kentucky, and at Tallahassee. I mean, uh, Will Muschamp, 
guys, his ego is so big. He's expecting to win it all, to come back and, and win the SEC. Sonia, how's Will Muschamp going to take a 7-5, and 6-6 six and six season, and, and how are the Gator fans going to accept it? The same way they accepted their season, the last two. <laughs> come on. I mean, what are they going to do? Will's got one more year before the Gator fans start hollering. Oh, well, I've already been years. hollering after after the four and eight losing to Georgia Southern. I don't care about injuries. I don't yep. care about nothing. When you're when you're tackling your own team and you lose exactly. a twenty six <laughs> to twenty at home against Georgia Southern, when you lose by nineteen to Missouri, when you lose by seventeen to Vanderbilt, when you lose yep. by thirty to Florida State, I mean it's yep, just baby. come on. Dude, I'm telling you, watching them last, it was funny. It wasn't just pathetic. It was funny because you were sitting there. You're like, okay, is this college football follies? Did the NFL, you know, kind of segue into college football follies? Because that's what watching Florida was. But, again, it goes back to the coaching staff. You know, it's Will versus Will versus. So, okay, if you've had two or three people here, three or four people over here, you've got one common denominator. It's Will. All right? Pull Will out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It can't be everybody else. You know, it's just like when we tell, when we're talking to our kids and they're always talking about this teacher, this teacher hates them, or this person, this person. It's like, okay, wait a minute. You said that about four different people. The same thing. So something must be wrong with you. If these four people are telling you the same thing and you got the same problem, you must be the issue. So I think that's that's what we're seeing at Florida. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you see talent. You you look at recruiting, uh, Jonathan, and it's Florida's up there. They're getting their fair share of uh, five stars, four stars. They have talent yep. here, but Will Muschamp, how many more offensive coordinators can he go through without looking in the mirror? Mm-hmm. Look, if Florida doesn't win nine, ten games this year, I think he gets fired. No doubt in my mind. He's the Florida out. fans are going to keep bragging about that softball national championship all they want, but how they <laughs> go to March Madness at the end of the day, What's paying those bills is college football. Last time I checked, that National Championship trophy resides in Tallahassee. Unless yep. Florida can get themselves back in that conversation, he's going to get fired because now they're playing. Now they're going to want. To, they're trying to play catch up to Jimbo. Now at the end of the day, yep. that's what it's now it's coming to. They got to fight with well, them. They have to compete with us because Miami can't compete well, with either one of us, and they drop Miami. How much more pressure, Sonia, does it put on a coach and a fan base when your rival is winning championships? I know what it puts on. That's why Chizik got fired real quick. When, the, That's right. when your rival is winning national championships, you, you hit that kind of panic button. I mean, I think Florida's like, let's just keep Muschamp one more season. I mean, it can't hurt. I mean, we're 4-8. and eight. Florida State's rolling. So does the panic set in this year, Sonia, if they don't compete for an SEC championship? Oh yeah, and that's why you saw this. You know, Nick Saban <clears throat> speak out, you know, in support of Will. You know, he's one of his guys, or one of his former guys. So why all of a sudden would would Nick speak out unless there was an issue, or unless there was some sort of scuttlebutt or talk about you know Will being on the hot seat and this being his last year? I Nick totally wants agree. A free win. Huh? Because Nick wants that free win in Tuscaloosa this year. <laughs> well, that's the thing, too. When you've got somebody, I mean, we we see it, Tarvin, with Alabama and Auburn, and we've discussed this, actually, because we've been talking about our fan bases, you know, the past couple of weeks. But when you sit back and you see your rival 
going to the national championship or even just doing better than you, gaining more prominence, they're ranked, they're, they're getting all of these accolades and they're getting all of this media hype and you're sitting over here, you know, basically killing your shooting yourself in the foot. <laughs> it's like, what else, what else can you do? How low, how much lower can it get? So mm-hmm. I think that Florida fans are, are going to just say, hey, you know, we've, we've had this guy as a coordinator, we've had this guy, we've had this much talent, we were, you know, we had this, this recruiting class and this and this. We've got all of these elements, and something is not working. What is the common denominator? Oh, the head coach. You mean the head coach that always seems, you know, he's very defensive of his players. He, he defends them and is very supportive of them. That's great. But you're also very defensive with everybody else. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you get defensive when anybody mentions the fact that Florida is not succeeding as Florida should or not playing on the, the level that Florida should. And to lose to Georgia mm-hmm. Southern, like you said, and to to come in there and, and cause that Florida-Miami game was just freaking hilarious. I mean, when I get oh, bored, I will just go find it on YouTube and look just – I mean, they just look like peewees out there just making the mm-hmm. dumbest mistakes. So when you see a team that once had the prestige Florida had just kind of fall to this, you just go, what? Dude, seriously? Start yeah. all over. Just scrap it. <laughs> yeah. You know, the worst, the worst season that I remember as an Auburn fan was 2012 when we were 3-9 and nine. And Alabama won a championship, so that that's what Florida fans went through last year. They they lose at home to Georgia Southern. Florida State's just blowing people loud, just Heisman Trophy winner, and it's just miserable. And the next year happened. Auburn came back and and actually played with a leader and played like they're capable of. And Jonathan, I think Florida fans could look at Auburn and and, and kind of compare that if they do not start blowing teams out and winning football games, it's over for Muschamp. I wouldn't be surprised if he was fired during the middle of the season if it gets out of hand. He's going to hit a tough stretch. Like I talked about, he's got Bama, Tennessee, LSU, Missouri, Georgia, South Carolina, Florida State. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a murderer's row right there. If it wasn't for those Mm out-of-conference games, these guys could win two games. So give me a prediction, guys. Will Muschamp make it through the season and get fired, or will he get fired during the middle of the season? Sonia? Okay, he better hope when they play Georgia <clears throat> that Rick <laughs> that Georgia does what Georgia does, <laughs> so that he wins that game. He better hope. Uh, let's see, you got Vandy. Who else you got? You better hope that Steve Spurrier forgets his glasses or something. Um, Florida State, gimme. Um, I would say. Let me look at the schedule. Hold on. Three, loss, 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 loss. Up in the air, up in the air, loss. <laughs> I haven't heard Win, loss. Dude, if, if he makes it through the season, it's just because they, they want to try to save face or do something. But I really do not see him lasting after the season. I mean, I'm looking at this schedule, and I'm just like, bruh, for real? <laughs> Mm-hmm. I'm serious because after after Kentucky, I mean, you got Idaho, the Idaho Vandals, Eastern Michigan Eagles, Kentucky Wildcats. Yep. Then you got Bama. Then you got Tennessee, LSU, Mizzou, Georgia, Vandy, South Carolina, Eastern Kentucky, and then Florida State. Yeah. Okay. 
<laughs> Will, get your get your Will Mooshamp T-shirts and all of that stuff now because you yeah. might not see it available after next year. Uh, Jonathan. Yeah, um, they might make it. He might make it through the year just because that's how Florida's going to roll. Remember when they canned Zook, Zook? They waited till the end of the year to shove him out. So we'll probably know by the first or second week in November if Muschamp's still hanging around. Because um, they'll announce if he's fired, if, if he's out the door by then. That's just going to be honest. They're just not going to kick him out the door yet. They're going to let him coach out. Uh, I mean, going into it, at the end of the day, 7-5 seems like a, a good record for them right now. They have to beat Georgia. 8-4, and four. okay, maybe we, we bring it back. They beat Bama, LSU, South Carolina, or Florida State. If they beat Florida State or Bama, he's safe. I'll yep. tell you what right now. If he beats one of those two, he's safe. That's if he right. loses those, he loses LSU, yeah. he loses South Carolina, okay, maybe. He loses Georgia. Georgia could actually be the game where he's hired or fired. That could be the game. For both. And that's the set. You're right, Jonathan. For both him and Rick. Uh, you know Georgia's not going to fire Rick, man. He's, that guy's. He could lose all the games, and they'll be focusing on next year. They'll be like, "We'll get you next year. We're gonna, we're gonna get you next year." Wait, they already into 2017. Wait till next year. Next year, Rick. Yeah, they, they, they went like six and six and lost to Central Florida a few years ago. What nine to three or something in a bowl game? And oh, then he still kept his job. Yeah. Yeah, he still kept his job. Mark Rick, come on, that guy. Man, I don't even want to talk. I was hoping some Georgia fans would call in tonight while we were talking about Trey Matthews transferring to Auburn. But, guys, I have to get out of here tonight. I have to go. Um, but thank you both for joining me. We just discussed Michigan and Florida. Both of us, all three of us, don't think it's going to be a good year for either team. But, but we'll, we'll hit them closer to August, these two teams, and see if anything changes. So Wednesday night, 8.30 p.m. Eastern, we will be live again, and we're going to start talking some more college football. I'm not sure about the teams, but I'll, I'll be announcing those Tuesday. But, Sonia and jo- Jonathan, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, that's all for us tonight. Again, happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. And if you're a dad, thank you. Take pride in yourself. Do a good job and raise your kids. Uh, this country's in trouble, and we need some dads out there to step up and, and do a good job raising kids. So with that being said, thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you Wednesday night at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, and all that means is we're one step closer to college and NFL football. Take care, everybody. <laughs>